Ahlan Wasahlan, dear listener. I'm Michael Rakowitz, artist and director of Radio Silence, a broadcast about Iraq and its displacements, presented by Mural Arts Philadelphia, with major support from the Pew Center for Arts and Heritage, and additional support from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Hummingbird Foundation. Project collaborators include the Prometheus Radio Project, as well as many agencies and nonprofits that work on refugee and veteran issues and community media. Radio Silence is made in collaboration with the vibrant Iraqi community of Philadelphia and Iraq War veterans who are part of Warrior Writers, a Philadelphia-based community of military service members, artists, allies, and healers dedicated to creativity and wellness. Bajat Abdelwahed, dubbed the Walter Cronkite of Iraq, and his wife, Haifa Abdelkader, also a broadcaster, arrived as refugees in the city of brotherly love in 2009. The program became a portrait of Iraq in miniature as Bajat fell ill with a serious respiratory ailment after our first recording session, necessitating an emergency tracheostomy. The voice of Iraq lost its voice. Months later, Bajat Abdelwahed passed away. Our host has become a ghost, another casualty of the war. At his funeral, Bajat's friends spoke about how our project was even more important now. The show must go on, they insisted, to illustrate just how much of the country was slipping away, to resist cultural amnesia, to hold on to the best of what Iraq was, and what their new lives as Americans would be. And so we begin Episode 5, Silent Letters. We begin today's episode back in Bajat and Haifa's living room in January 2016. Bajat wants to tell a funny story about his days as a broadcaster on Iraqi television. As you'll hear, he recalls a time when he and a female announcer were teamed with another more experienced male broadcaster. It seems that this man did not want to share the nightly news chair with anyone. And so his strategy to remove Bajat and his colleague was to tell them a joke right before the broadcast began so they would begin laughing uncontrollably. I give you another one. Yeah. yeah. I have not a story, yeah. but I have uh, something like jockey, joke? A joke. Joke? A joke. Good. Yeah. Uh, please uh, correct. Correct, yes. Correct my mistake, mistake. I am an announcer. Okay. We are reading the news in the TV. Okay. Three. Uh, two men and one woman. Okay. We have one announcer. He likes the microphone and picture very, very much. Okay, very much. Sometimes say to me, why you come to read with me? Why she come to read with me? Let me I read alone. <laughs> Don't like anyone. No share. No, you, you alone. I said to him, you like alone, but the, the, the people who seen you okay. don't like to listen to you just one hour because they disturb. Okay. And one day, we are ready to read the news three. Me here, middle, my friend here, man, the girl here. Before five minutes, he make some joke. The announcer very, very, very rough. I said, don't laugh. Oh, no. She cannot read. Uh, left the, <laughs> the studio, yes. Yeah. How, how do she laugh? Okay. 
intend to do that? Together. Half hour to me, half hour to him. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. Me, sometimes I, I love to because it's very, very, said to him, Mr. Kfun, don't make any joke. Because if you make joke, I can't uh, control myself. I will laugh. And if I laugh, you will st stay alone to read the news. That is not good for you and for the people. For the people. I speak uh, with him frankly. Okay. If you do it with me, I will tell my manager to punish you. <laughs> he said, no, no, Bahajat, no. I said, yes, don't joke, please. When you f will finish news, joke. He said yes. He was very uh, and finish the the <laughs> the news together. And that girl uh, left us. He is satisfied because that is his habit. Habit, yeah. His habit. He want to learn alone to read the news. Listening back to this section, I was struck at how Bajad asked me to correct any mistakes he made in telling the story in English. Bajat would be the first to tell us about the importance of diction, pronunciation, and elocution. After his broadcasting years, he wrote many acclaimed books on the Arabic language, both in how it is written and how it is spoken. Take, for instance, the story of pa and ba. In Arabic, there is no letter like p, but there is b. That is why Pepsi is pronounced bebsi, in the Arab world. Let's go back to that day in December 2016, speaking with Muhammad in that Dunkin' Donuts on Cotman Avenue in Northeast Philadelphia. As Muhammad explains, students learning English in Iraq would need to pass the uh, test. Yeah, yeah, because most of uh, people in Middle East, they cannot uh, recognize between the second letter in English, B, and P, the 20th, something like 20th, yeah. yeah. So I remember a teacher, he, when he wanted to, to, to explain the difference between, he said, put a piece of paper on, on your palm and say, B, there is no, no, no air from your, and you say P, and the, you know, the paper fly, fly away. So I remember my, my English uh, teacher, as well, he was a boxing fighter at that time, so we are very afraid, afraid from him. Yeah, because anyone may, made any, any, any fault, he can take care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On one of my visits with Bajat, before he became ill, he explained to me that the pa test was also administered on Radio Baghdad and on Iraqi television. So, if an aspiring journalist was auditioning to present the news on the air in 2004, they might have had to report on the corrupt policies of Paul Bremer, the administrator of the transitional government in Iraq that President Bush appointed in the aftermath of the U.S.-led invasion. If the journalist pronounced Paul properly, the wind coming from the correct pronunciation of P from the lips would move the paper, and they would pass the audition. If they were to say Ball Bremer, well, they'd fail and probably end up working elsewhere in the newsroom. Sounds that exist and don't exist lead me to think about silent letters. 
the K in knowledge, for instance. While the K sound is not heard, it stands in solidarity with the N, O, W, L, E, D, G, and E. Without the K, knowledge is unrecognizable when read. We've had some silent letters across our radio silence project in Philadelphia over the past two years. People who supported and attended our recording sessions, but did not want to be recorded for many reasons, including security. But without them, we are a word lacking all its letters. I'd like to pause for a moment to acknowledge our silent letters, our silent participants, who nevertheless stand with us in solidarity. One of those silent letters is Samir, the Basmati rice salesman who I told you about in episode three. Samir took Mohammed and me on a road trip beginning in Philadelphia, searching for Iraq along a stretch of Interstate 95 that mimics the trajectory of the Tigris River and ends at Shalal's restaurant in Fairfax, Virginia, where they make delicious Iraqi kebab. On this trip, I recorded about three hours of material with Samir and Mohammed that was to serve as a narrative arc moving across ten episodes. But when Samir and Mohammed requested the redaction of most of their recordings due to concerns for their family's safety in Iraq and also here, that narrative anchor disappeared like our show's anchor. And so, dear listener, at this moment in the program, I wish you could hear Samir's contagious laughter. I wish you could hear the stories he told me about Iraq, about the owners of the restaurant in Fairfax having been television reporters back in Baghdad. I wish you could hear him pointing out the famous Iraqi football player in the restaurant and calling him over to our table. I wish you could hear Samir talking about how the Coca-Cola tasted extra special at this restaurant because it was imported from Dubai, which wasn't exactly true. It was imported from Mexico. I wish you could hear him explaining why a teacup is called an istikan in Iraq. I wish you could hear him suddenly realize at midnight that a September 10th turned into September 11th, that the events on that day 15 years before led to his family having to flee Iraq and end up as refugees in Philadelphia. I wish you could hear Samir. Hyphens are signs used to join words to indicate that they have a combined meaning. They are silent when read aloud, but create a bridge between words. Take Arab Jew, for instance, a term used to describe the Jews from countries like Iraq, many of whom left or were forced to flee in the 1940s and 50s, like my grandparents. As my colleague Dr. Ella Shohat, herself an Arab Jew from Iraq, says, it is the hyphen in between these two words that can be seen as a suture, as a remembering of an Arab world in the past that can be a blueprint for a future that imagines seemingly impossible returns. The hyphen as a bridge. Bridges feature prominently in the history of Iraq. For example, in the 13th century, an important library and meeting point for intellectuals and translators, the House of Wisdom, 
was sacked by the Mongols. The pillaged books were thrown into the Tigris River, where they formed a bridge. It is said that the river ran black with the ink from the books for months afterward. In the 21st century, a bridge in Bakuba was destroyed during the Iraq War. Stationed on that bridge with the U.S. Army until 2007 was Lawrence Davidson. Ten years after he left Bakuba, all of our correspondents met for dinner at Amasi, Philadelphia's only and best Iraqi restaurant. And sitting across from him was Farouk Al-Obaidi, an Iraqi living in Philadelphia. He, too, left Bakuba in 2007. And he, too, knew that bridge, which he crossed on his way to school every day. As explained in this interview, Farouk's appearance that night at Amasi might have been a reappearance. Me and my brothers, we received this invitation from you guys to the dinner at the Amasi restaurant. And we, we arrived like three minutes late to the dinner. For me, I was there um, as a participant with Warrior Writers. We had done uh, writing workshops and discussion writing sessions leading up to it where we had talked about our experiences in the war in Iraq. Um, and a point along the way was that we were going to interface and share a meal with Iraq refugees, um, Iraqi nationals. And, and so we got there. I was on the other end. I showed up an hour early. Um, so the place was empty and we had started to kind of congregate having conversations with other warrior writers. I was actually like kind of nervous, like what am I going to talk about? Like, because I've never had like, um, like this type of meetings, I've never been to. He kind of had the tentativeness that I had was just, where do I sit? Okay, I'll take this one. And there was certainly a pregnant silence, there was certainly a thickness, but how do you start the, where are you from, <laughs> conversation. And So once we sit there, I introduced myself, and then Lawrence was uh, sitting just in front of me. And uh, once I mentioned that I'm from Bakuba, he straight away was like, wow, I served in this place. Like he was mentioning places, and I'm like, I know this place, I know this place, I know this place. And um, he mentioned about the bridge, and I was telling him like, I know this bridge. I used to cross this bridge to my school. And they, there was an original large structural bridge that was there. <laughs> it's, um, it's made of metal, so once the car like get on top of the bridge and it's floating, so they'll be like clang, clang, you know, the, yeah. the bangs and the sounds. Yeah, like they are like the, the sounds still, still in my mind, you know. It's a, it's a, it's kind of scary sound, but like once you think about it now, it's a happy sound, you know. It's a memory sound. It's like yeah. that county fair roller coaster where yeah. you're, you're pretty sure that this is gonna hold. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll be like, whoa. <laughs> I was quickly taken back to that place and and, and had pictures and was able to say, is it, is it mm. by the turnaround? Is it, is it I here? Is the it pictures? And then yeah, literally was. reached across the table uh, in the middle of Philadelphia and said, is is this the bridge? Mm -hmm. And you you couldn't fake his. The face, I mean, he, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe it's, that's it. No, it, everything kind of lit up, like something connected, like, yeah, no, that, that, that's the place. I know, like, uh, he was showing me pictures of kids and, uh, and the bridge and, uh, like, some farms and things, like those things that I used, I mean, I used to see all the time when I go to my school. It was, uh, 
It was a happy feeling. Like there's a like 50, 30 percentage that we might have to see each other. Um, I can say we might did, we might not, but like um, even though maybe I might have seen him, but he might look different and with the suit and with the helmet and I did show him a picture of us. Yeah, he, yeah, said, I, I, he said, which one's you? Yeah, and he, he pointed to this big old six foot four with a mustache. <laughs> yeah. I said, no, no, <laughs> that's not me. It's so hard. we could have seen each other. Yeah. I do know that we, that I've, that he's seen some of the places that I've seen yeah. and, and that they exist. Mm -hmm. And they may not exist anymore. Yeah. Um, and they might never again in that space, but but I was there, and I know that you live in a beautiful place. <laughs> Thank you. And I know that, that I've seen it, and I know that I've seen Harvest, and I've seen Smiles, and, it, and that it's not all I mean, rubble, and it's not all I mean, one yeah. thing. So, so I can verify and testify yeah, those, that it exists. Those places <laughs> exist. I can and for me, yes. you can do the same. Even, <laughs> even, even if you say that they might not exist anymore, but they do exist in, 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 in our hearts, you know? Yeah, in your heart, in my heart, they do exist. I guess the, the one thing that I, you know, you, how'd you end up at that bridge? That's one. But then how'd you end up at the restaurant? That's another. And I think that, I'm not sure which one is more important. Yeah. They both have to happen. I, I guess what I, why'd you go to the restaurant? Why'd you participate in it? And for me, it's, um, well, who are you? I was a soldier then. Mm. I'm a father now. I have two children, and in the land of disposable plastic junk, that means you, you fix things. Yeah. I broke this, Dad. Yeah. I broke this. And they hand it to you and super glue, duct tape, ties, popsicle sticks. And you, you know, you kind of, you work and be, you, you get mm -hmm. it put back together and, and you, you hand it to them. Mm -hmm. And they look back at you with this good as new. Yeah. Um, and you share this white lie of, because they saw your effort, and they, they it's, you know, they, you, you, I wanted to fix this. Mm -hmm. And they say, good is new, and it's not. And there's glue that holds two pieces that are never gonna stick together. And there's tape that makes it almost unusable. <laughs> yeah. um, but I tried, and we just say, <laughs> Good as new, and that's more than I can ask for um, from these interactions. And it's it's also you've given me more than that. So yeah, that's that's it. Lawrence and Farouk, thank you, and thank you to Amasi for enabling that meeting and helping to build that bridge in Bakuba here in Philadelphia. Folks, do you miss Kobo Mosul? Are you craving dolma or mhasha like mama used to make? Have you had enough of disappointing Iraqi kebab and want to taste the real thing? Then fill up your car with Iraqi oil, blast Lionel Richie on the radio, and head to a Masi Iraqi restaurant located at 1731 Cecil B. Moore Avenue. Amasi is Philadelphia's best and only Iraqi restaurant. Now here's warrior writer Lawrence Davidson with the weather forecast in Bakuba. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Radio Silence. Here in Bakuba, we're looking at the weather for the next five days. 
For Monday, it will be dusty. The weather for this afternoon looks cloudy with a chance of shit water running through the streets. It'll be hot and unbearable on Tuesday, but I can promise you a gorgeous golden sun setting over tea walls on Thursday afternoon. Yeah. That's about it. There's not much left up here. Thank you, Lawrence. Silent letters also conjure absent responses. Letters that went unanswered and also unwritten. Returning to radio silence once again is Sergeant Jin McGill Prather, a Philadelphia-based artist with roots in the South and a member of Warrior Writers. She served as a combat medic and preventive medicine specialist in the Army National Guard for five years and deployed to Kampuka, Iraq in 2004. Jin, her wife JP, her dog and cats live in South Philly. I visited Jin in her studio in 2016. Among the impressive collections she uses to make her beautiful work was a binder she keeps of the letters that children attending the elementary school in her hometown wrote to her in 2004. Now, keep in mind, this recording takes place after the 2016 U.S. presidential election, and Jin realizes that most of these kids are now of voting age. They went to my elementary school, and um, my third grade teacher had her class send letters to me. And all of those are drawings and letters and stuff from the kids. And I have this moral sense of responsibility to write them them all back, you know? It's been a really long time, though. Um, That was 2004, 2005. and and I wrote I wrote I remember I wrote one to the class like as a whole you know, but these are like individual children and God help them they put their like addresses and stuff on these like letters to me you know, but all of them just voted. Yeah. This was their first election, and so again I have this other like moral sense you know in my head where I'm like, they've probably ne- never met a gay. <laughs> Um, they've probably um, seen, you know, a handful of other ethnicities. Um, this is like a northern Florida border of Alabama. So um, we call it the Redneck Riviera. Um, I can say that because I'm from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, and a lot of these letters are like, what is it like? You know, what is it like there in Iraq? What is it? Is it hot? Is it... And, you know, if you look at the photos that I have, you can see what it was like. And that's something you don't tell a third grader. But it's also something that now that clearly they're old enough to vote, um, I don't even want to assume who they voted for. I can guess, (laughs) but, you know, that's actually wrong. I shouldn't think like that. But I, I do, I have this, like overwhelming urge to like make some type of visual you know representation and say this is why I didn't write you back um because I couldn't tell you what it was like you know but I I do want to write the kids back (laughs) draw them some badass pictures because they drew me some badass pictures look at that rebel flag over there that is that is one awesome Rebel flag, I tell ya. <laughs> <laughs> I love having 
how asymmetrical it is. Oh yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> they drew their favorite things, and some of those favorite things are dolphins, or things that look like dolphins. I don't know what that is, but it might be. It's a crab. All of them want to know what it's like to kill people and what kind of gun do you have. What is it like in Iraq? Where are you at in Iraq? By a city or out in the dusty place? I'd like to find that out. Your friend Haley. I will pray that you will win this terrible war. Is it hard being a medic in Iraq? We get drawn in a magic book. And if you win, you get a free book. Do you get any sleep or do you just stay up all night? Is it fun being a medic in the army? We have new teachers. Look at these angels with Kevlar helmets on. Food, weather, guns. How long have you been there? What's your favorite animal? Do you have to wear a certain type of clothes? What's it like in Iraq? How long do you have to work? I hope you are feeling well in Iraq. When I say well, I mean no wounds or stuff like that. I have a question. In Iraq, do most of the sick people have migraines and are dehydrated because it must be very hot out in the desert of Iraq? It must be cold in the winter. Do you carry guns with you? Have you ever seen an explosion? Is it fun shooting bad people? Is the sun as hot as a heater? From your friend Kathleen. How are you doing? It's nice in Youngstown. It's not very cold. It has gotten warmer for the last 10 days. I have an uncle named Gary. If you know him, tell me how he's doing because I'm really worried. I feel sorry for you. I hope you're okay. P.S. You're nice and risky to do that to save us. <laughs> how is it in Iraq? We have a lot of new teachers at Waller. We also have a lot of new buildings. Our principal is Miss Fowler now. She is very nice and Mr. Simonson is the vice principal. I hope when you come back from Iraq, you will come to see us in Miss Ferry's classroom. You probably hate it there. I would too if I was there, being over there without an ocean or any forest green grass. You probably never see any other colors than camel brown. I wanted to kill myself when I got this. The weather has been good down here, but not in Thailand because they had a little wave. The impossible closure Jin alludes to in her desire to answer those letters some 12 years later feels like the tension of a sentence begun but never finished. For some reason, this lack of closure made me think again of Lawrence Davidson. During one of our conversations, we spoke about the audiobooks and music that he would have the soldiers under his command listen to while in Iraq. He made a connection to his upbringing, like me, as a dyed-in-the-wool Yankees fan. As he explains, at the end of a day, when everyone survived, when the tanks were finally crossing the Tigris and heading into the safe zone, he would play Sinatra's theme from New York, New York, the song that's played at the end of a Yankees victory. So whenever we got over, over the Tigris, we, I would put on... Um, Sinatra's New York, New York, and make and I would sing very loud, <laughs> and make him make him sing it. <laughs> the first couple um, of the Yanks fan from New York, and that kind of made it home. Sinatra. It was heavily secured right by the LSA Anaconda, right on uh, by El Asad, and so it wasn't that it was safe, but it was pretty as close to it as you're going to get. 
And so that was the only time that I would play that song. This is Lawrence Davidson, Warrior Writer for Radio Silence, and we're bringing you a little Frankie Blue Eyes theme from New York, New York. That's it for today's episode. Radio Silence is curated by Elizabeth Thomas. Special thanks to our project manager, Abigail Satinsky, to our sound engineer, Nate Sandberg, to Warrior Writers and their director, Lovella Kalika, to all our Iraqi participants and the resettlement agencies that connected us to them, and to Jane Golden and everyone at Mural Arts. Our deepest gratitude and love to Bajat Abdul Wahed and his wife, Haifa Ibrahim Abdulkader. Original music for Radio Silence is composed by Hannah Khouri and performed by the Radio Silence Ensemble. Join us next week when we talk about the censored and the forbidden. Until then, good night, dear listener. For Radio Silence, I'm Michael Rakowitz, and this was Iraq. Iraq.